Good morning. I'm going to be in 1 Samuel 5, if you want to turn there. And this morning, I just wanted to share a little bit of what's been on my heart and what the Lord's been challenging me with recently. And we're going to talk about Samuel, and we're going to talk about knowing God. So as Christians, if we have started a relationship with Christ, every day there should be a longing inside of us to know God more. As we receive this free gift of salvation, we can't earn it, we don't deserve it, but that's not the end of this relationship. That's just the beginning, right? That's just the start. And so we're going to talk a little bit about some negative illustrations and then some positive illustrations. So before I read this, though, let let me just lay a little groundwork here. So what's going on in this verse is this is not a good season in Israel. So 1 Samuel 5 is not a good time in Israel's history and their relationship with God. They have been disobedient. They have been hard-headed. They have not worshipped like they should. Uh, Eli is their high priest who is totally compromised. Eli's sons are running the temple. And they're vile and evil people. And it actually says in a verse we'll read later that the word of the Lord was scarce and there was not widespread revelation. So this is not a good season for them. And they go out to battle against the Philistines and they lose. And they're shocked that they lost. And they actually get together a council of the elders and they're essentially asking the question, how could we have lost? We are God's anointed. We're amazing, right? And the conclusion they come to is, oh, well, we didn't have the ark. That must have been it. Right? It's not that we're disobedient and obstinate and all these things. We didn't have the ark, and that's why we lost. And they actually say, send for the ark, perhaps it will save us. So they go to religion rather than relationship. So they get the ark, and they go out to battle the next day, and they lose again. Not unsurprisingly, right? But this time it's a little worse, because they actually lose the ark of the covenant. The Philistines capture it, and that's where we start reading. So 1 Samuel 5 says, Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set it in its place again. And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon and both the palms of its hands were broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso remained. So the ark of the covenant is really cool. Because it's totally different than all of the other gods, all the other deities, all the other things that different cultures worshipped. So the Philistines worshipped Dagon and they worshipped Baal. Those were their two primary deities. Dagon was a stone carving of like a half fish, half man thing. Why you would worship a merman, I don't know. But they did, right? They also worshipped Baal, which was usually a ram or a goat. But they worshipped these depictions of what they thought their gods looked like. So they would take stone, take whatever, and carve out a depiction of this is what our God looks like. But the Ark of the Covenant 
is totally different, completely different, because it's not a depiction of God, it's a depiction of his throne. So it's the place where he sits, it's the place where he rests, it's the mercy seat, right? And essentially what the Philistines do here is they bring the throne of God into their temple to Dagon. And the next morning, what happens? Dagon's flat on his face. Right? He's laid completely flat before the throne of God. And it's such an awesome illustration. I love this story for us. Because when you make your heart the temple of your heart, right, a place where God can sit, a place where God can rest, a place where his presence rules and reigns, the first thing that will happen is your idols will begin to fall. First thing that will take place in your life is the stuff that wants to bind you, the stuff that wants to rule you, the stuff that wants to usurp God. It will begin to fall and crumble because nothing can stand before the king. And I love what one author actually said about this section of Scripture. One commentator said, there's one thing we know about stone, and that's if no one is praising, the rocks are going to cry out, right? And he said, the very stone that Dagon was carved out of, in the presence of the one true, holy, living God, it actually rebelled against what it was carved to be, and it broke itself and bowed before the King of Kings. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that great? We serve the same God today. He hasn't changed. He wants to do this kind of stuff in your life. So today, if you have something in your life that's binding you, if you know someone who has something in their life that's binding them, that's hindering the walk with Christ, focus on making your heart a place where God can sit. Focus and prioritize your relationship with Christ. Because what we do as human beings is we get problem fixated. Right? We problem fixate. Don't hit the pothole in the road. Don't hit the pothole. Don't hit the pothole. Don't hit the pothole. And we nail it every time. Right? And it's so easy to get problem fixated in life and go, well, I've got I've to fix this issue. I've got to take care of this thing. I've got this other stuff I've got to deal with. Then... I'll focus on my relationship with God. I've got this relationship stuff I've got to deal with. I've got this other thing over here. This thing's going on at work. After that's done, then I'll prioritize worshiping God more. But the exact opposite is actually how life works. We pour into our relationship with Christ. We give everything we have to Him. All that we are. All the other challenges and issues will completely fall apart. Right? And you get to name the label. That's the cool thing. God's the answer for all of it. So you can be dealing with anger. You can be dealing with depression. You can be dealing with anxiety. You can be dealing with sin. You can, whatever label you want to put on it, the answer is always the same. We don't focus on the issue. We focus on Christ. We pour into him. And we bring the throne of God into our lives. And it's so easy to look at stories like this. And I've been guilty of this myself. It's easy to read stuff like this and go, oh, that's a really cool illustration, right? But it's not that simple anymore. This was thousands of years ago, 
right? These, these people did not have access to the technology we have now, the temptations we have now, the distractions we have now. We've, we've evolved a little bit as humans, right? We're more nuanced, surely. That was sarcasm, by the way, if you didn't miss that. That was, uh, yeah, because no, we haven't changed one bit. The longer you live, the more history you read, the more you watch people, the more you realize human problems kind of stay the same. Human stupidity kind of stays the same, right? Hasn't changed much. The level is pretty consistent. And we're actually dealing with the exact stuff these people were back then. Literally. And you go, okay, well, how do you, how do you know that, right? What were they worshiping? They were worshiping Dagon and they were worshiping Baal. Now, what are those gods? Dagon was the god of the fields, the streams, the oceans, the crops, and the harvest. Right? And his son Baal, who they worshipped, was the god of fertility. So what were the Philistines worshipping thousands of years ago? The earth and sex. Nothing has changed, right? What does our world worship today? The earth and sex. Baal went on to be claimed by the Greeks, and they changed his name to Zeus, and he was worked into the pantheon. So the names change, but the problems stay exactly the same. Baal required infant sacrifice in order to be appeased. Abortion has been a stain on this country for years, right? And even if parents don't kill their children, they sacrifice them on the altar of my career, on the altar of selfishness, the altar of neglect, the altar of abuse. However you want to look at it, children always pay for the idolatry of the parents. And I think, I think that's something that's very pivotal to always remember, is the stuff we allow in our hearts, the things we allow to be strongholds in us, they will always require sacrifice. Idols always require sacrifice. The stuff we allow to live in our hearts will always demand something. Right? If you lie, you allow lying in your life. It will get found out, right? And it will cost you your credibility. If you get angry, you smash stuff. It will cost you your reputation. Right? You lust, it will cost you love. Everything costs something. And that's why Jesus said, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. Because if you think about it, in order for these people to have peace, for the Philistines to have peace, for them to reach a place where they were going, okay, we've appeased our gods, we've done everything we're supposed to do, the harvest is going to come in, crops aren't going to fail, we're all set, right? Ah, for them to reach that place, they had to sacrifice their own children. Now think about that for a minute. What a, what a horrific way to live. Right? What a terrible existence. But how many people still live that way every day? They have to appease the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, right? We all know people who actually aren't happy unless they're sinning. We all know people who actually aren't happy unless they're doing something that will destroy them. Some of us might even be related to a few of those people, right? 
don't look at the person next to you, okay? And that's why Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because God demands sacrifices too. God says, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. But the things God demands we give up are the very things that would actually destroy us. What does God demand we give up? Lying, anger, lust. The very things that would actually do us harm. So we get eternal life and we get to get rid of all the stuff that would actually harm us in this life. It's a pretty solid deal if you think about it, right? It's pretty cool. But the human nature is so interesting because so often we want our flesh more than we want God. And I think it's one of the most human scriptures in the Bible. God knocks Dagon down and what do the Philistines do? It says they propped Dagon back up. They propped him back up. I'm glad none of us have ever propped our issues back up, right? No, we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't find dysfunction that kind of works for us, right? No, that's, that doesn't sound like humans at all. They propped him back up. They're this close to the Ark of the Covenant. This close. He's right there. He's just laid their idol out flat. And their response is, oh, we got to get this in working order right away, right? But the next morning, what happens? <whistles> He's flat on his face again because the throne of God is still there. God's not gone anywhere. But this time it goes a little further because it says his head and his hands were broken off. Now, when I was younger, I used to read that and I, I kind of cruised over it because it's actually not that interesting, right? God does a lot of really demonstrative stuff in the Bible. He sets things on fire. He hits things with lightning. He could have written on the wall, verily, verily, thou art dumb, right? He could have done something super demonstrative here to show I'm God, but no, just the head and the hands. Okay. But this was such a big deal because in Philistine culture, that was how you killed a God. In Philistine culture, the way you destroyed an idol was you broke the head and the hands off of it. And when they would invade other nations, when they would take other cities, the first thing they would do is find the temple and break the head and the hands off of the idols. And it was their way of saying, your God is defeated, your God is powerless, we have won. Ha 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 And I just love how God, not so subtly, is saying to the Philistines, <clears throat> your God is weak, your God is powerless, I have won. And what's amazing is you never hear from Dagon again after this. He completely disappears from Philistine writings. Scripture doesn't mention him again. He's gone, vanishes from history. When you make your heart a place where God can rest, where his presence is prioritized above everything else, the stuff that wants to control your life, it doesn't just get weaker. It doesn't just go away a little bit. When we keep following Jesus, it dies. Amen? A.W. Tozer said, the greatest accomplishment that a human being can have over the course of a lifetime is to be totally conquered by God. Because when God rules you, nothing else can. Isn't that cool? So I want to jump back briefly 
to 1 Samuel 3. So we've looked at a negative here, but I just want to very briefly dwell on a positive because if you want to know God on a really deep level, there's only a few things you have to focus on. It's really simple. And Samuel has this really awesome first interaction with God. So 1 Samuel 3 says, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of the God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, that the Lord called Samuel. And he answered, Here I am. So he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call. Lie down again. And then he went and laid down. Then the Lord called yet again Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And he answered, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be if he calls you that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Aren't you glad that God calls us more than once? Aren't you glad the call actually intensifies a little bit? Samuel, Samuel. But if you want to know God, if you really want to develop a deep relationship with Him, there's only a few things you have to focus on. First thing you have to do is to make yourself available to God. So Samuel says four times in this little chunk of Scripture, and he keeps saying it throughout the rest of the chapter, here I am, here I am, here I am, here I am. It's almost annoying how many times he says it, right? It's just on repeat. But what is he doing? He's making himself available. He's going, I, I, I want to be a part. I want to be useful. How can I be a part of whatever job I'm supposed to be doing? The plan for my life. What can I do? And the amazing thing about God is you don't have to be smart or good looking or rich or powerful or much of anything to do something amazing with God. But you have to be available. Simple as that. You have to be available. Ready and willing to do whatever he calls you to do. Go wherever he calls you to go. Right? This was late at night. Samuel could have just made some snoring noises and pretended to be asleep. Right? No one, no one would have blamed him for that. That's what I did when I was a kid and I heard my parents calling and I didn't really want to... Just... Narcolepsy would set in very quickly. Right? Sorry, mom and dad. Apologize for that. He could have just pretended to be asleep. The first three times, he didn't even know God was calling him. He thought it was Eli. No one would have blamed him for that, but no, he's up and running. He's going, here I am. How can I help? What can I do? And on the third attempt, Eli finally gets it. 
he finally recognizes what's going on, and he actually gives pretty good advice. It's one of the only times in Scripture Eli gives good advice, unfortunately. He says, if you hear the voice again, you have to say, speak, your servant is listening. So first, we make ourselves available to God, and then we have to listen. Oftentimes, as humans, we want to run off and start doing something, right? Get involved, and that's great. But first priority is to listen to God. Listen for that still, small voice, constantly wanting to hear His voice in our lives. And that might mean we have to make time to listen, turn off all the distractions, turn off all the other noise, because God doesn't shout. He's a gentleman. He doesn't go where he's not invited, and he doesn't speak loudly. He whispers. Our world shouts loud, right? The world speaks with pressure. God speaks with peace. And there will be times, as unspiritual as it sounds, where we have to deliberately set time aside and go, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. I want to hear the voice of God. Because hearing from God will change your life. Hearing from God will change your life in the way no one, nothing else can. Right? It will revolutionize every part of who you are. But hearing from God is often not the challenging part. That's often not the hard bit, right? God speaks to a lot of people in the Bible. He speaks to people who don't really want to hear from Him, right? Hearing from God is often not difficult. Doing what He says, on the other hand... That's usually what takes courage. That's usually what takes commitment, right? Samuel is given a very harsh, stern word for Eli here. This poor kid's first interaction with God, and he has to go rebuke the high priest of Israel. We've got it pretty easy, right? The next morning, Eli says, what did God tell you to say to me? Ooh, that's a, that's a tough one. And Eli actually adds, and if you hold any of it back from me, be it on your own head. See, apparently Eli had heard that voice before. He knew how difficult it was to give a stern word. But we have to do what God tells us to do. And the most important thing out of all of this is we have to be holy. So it says... Samuel served before the Lord. In a previous verse, it says that Samuel served before the Lord in a linen ephod from a small boy. Now, it's really interesting that it says that because linen was not the common dress of the time. Most people wore wool. So you wore a, a thick linen tunic underneath your wool garment because wool is scratchy. But the priests wore linen because it signified transparency with God. And that's what holiness is. Holiness is nothing more than total transparency with God. Nothing held back, no hidden agendas, no shadows. Totally open, vulnerable, obedient, and exposed before the Lord. And the priests wore linen to signify that. We don't have a hard outer exterior. We don't have a layer of armor on. We don't have shadows and hidden motives and agendas. We are wide open and exposed before the king of kings. And from a small boy, Samuel was wearing the garments of a priest. He didn't have to. He wasn't required to. But what was he doing? He was staying holy. 
He was wanting to be obedient to God, to be totally open with Him. And that's the thing about holiness. Real, true holiness, only you and God know about. Right? Only you and God know if you're holy. I don't know what deodorant you put on this morning, but God does, right? And history's full of people who had all the right outward appearances, they had all the right outward actions, everything looked great. But on the inside, it wasn't about Jesus. On the inside, the motives were wrong. On the inside, there was something that wasn't dealt with, a stronghold, right? And Samuel grew up watching exactly that. Samuel grew up watching that. He had Eli as a high priest. He had Eli's sons as examples. Word of the Lord is scarce. There's not widespread revelation. If you want to know God, this is not a good season to do it in in Israel. This is not a good time. But none of it mattered because he wanted to know God. I don't know about you, but I want to know God. And the awesome thing about our relationship with Christ is at the end of the day, nothing can harm your relationship with God unless you let it. Nothing can poison your relationship with Christ unless you let it. You can be surrounded by liars, fakers, hypocrites, compromise, whatever is going on, right? None of it can touch you unless you let it. Because at the end of the day, your relationship with God is about you and Him. It's not about what some other person does. It's not about what your family does. It's not about what our politicians do. It's not about what our government does. Not about what's going on in our world at all. It's about me and Jesus. Nothing else matters. That's the relationship that really counts. And I'm sure Samuel felt very lonely, right? He might have felt like he was the only one doing it right. He was probably tempted to compromise. He was probably tempted to self-righteousness, right? He could have fallen in the ditch either way, but it didn't matter because he wanted to know God. None of it mattered. He wanted to know Christ. And the results of that were incredible. Samuel has one of my favorite testimonies in the Bible. Shortly after this, he turns the entire nation of Israel back to God by himself. By himself, he gets up and he makes a speech and the whole nation repents. He served Israel for 40 years and became one of the most powerful prophets they ever had. He anointed two kings. And it actually says that not a single word he spoke fell to the ground. That's a pretty good endorsement if you think about it, right? That's a pretty solid thing to have in your life. Not a single word he spoke fell to the ground. And you know why Samuel had this testimony? You know why he had this impact on his nation? Because this wasn't a one-time thing. Samuel didn't have this one great interaction with God and then go on to have an incredible future. No, this was a daily thing. You know how Samuel started every morning? Just like he did when he was a little boy. God, here I am. Here I am. Speak. Your servant is listening. I'm going to be holy because I want to know you. And that was just on rinse and repeat throughout his entire life. And today, saints, we are actually called to be the prophets of this generation. 
We are actually called to be the people who have made our hearts a place where God can sit, a place where God can rest, a place where his presence rules and reigns. And when we meet people, when we pray for them, when we talk with them, the stuff that wants to control their lives actually begins to fall and crumble, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And I don't know about you, but today more than ever before, I'm going, I want to know God. I'm not happy with the status quo. I'm not happy with a moderately nice Christian life. I want a personal relationship with Jesus. I want to hear his voice every day. Right? Bob Mumford used to say, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I want to be like Dumbo. I want to be a little elephant with gigantic ears. All right? I don't want to miss a single thing that God says to me. So let's bow our heads this morning. Lord, today, we ask that you would refocus our eyes on you. That you would remove any distractions, Lord. That you would take away anything that's been hindering our walk. That you would refocus our eyes on you because you're the only thing that matters. And today, Lord, the stuff that we're struggling with, the things that are hindering us, Today's the day we're going to let them fall and we're not going to prop them back up. We're going to leave them where they lay. And we're going to walk forward into the glorious purpose that you have for each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it.